I'm Anthony. And I'm Alex. And my first story today is world news. This is from BBC.com. And the headline is, First Viking ship excavation in a century begins in Norway. In a century? Uh Uh-huh. Huh. You'd think we would have done one sometime (laughs) more recently. Yeah, no, we have not in a really long time. Um, I re- so really quick before we do this, like I remember reading about when they found a Viking ship with like Earth radar. Did we talk about that on the show, or did I just read that? I think we did talk about it, but it yes, was like in did. 2018, so it was a long time ago. Yeah, we definitely talked about it though, because I couldn't find it in any of my notes. So I wonder if it was like before I did digital notes and I just had paper written yeah. down or something because I couldn't find it. But anyway, okay, so I think we talked. Okay, I think we talked about this before. I'm pretty sure we did. Yeah. So they found a Viking ship in Norway with this like radar technology and they knew it was underground mm-hmm. and then they decided they were going to excavate it. Well, they're finally doing it. Wow. That took a while. Like two years later. <laughs> yeah. So they finally begun their excavation. Like I said, it's the first excavation of a Viking ship in more than a century. Um, the vessel was discovered in a burial site in Gelstad. I think that's how it's pronounced. Gelstad. Gelstad. Um, in the Southeast of the country. Two years ago, although it is believed to be in poor condition, the find remains a signif- remains significant as only three other well-preserved Viking ships have been discovered in the country, like ever. Wow. Um, the excavation is expected to last five months. An expert from the Norwegian Institute for Cultural Heritage Research said the only part of the ship's or that only part of the ship's timber appeared to have been preserved. But apparently modern techniques with technology could allow archaeologists to figure out what the original shape was, because there's enough there to do that. Okay. Um, The ship is about 65 feet long. Um, And then it just mentioned at the end that, again, that it was discovered using ground-penetrating radar in 2018. And, like, this is the photo of it from the radar, I think. That looks familiar, actually. Does it? Yeah. I think because I think we talked about this. I'm pretty sure we talked like about it. Like in the very it. early days of the podcast, I think we did, talked about this discovery. I wonder so, how many of our future stories are just going to be going. I think we talked about yeah. this. <laughs> Probably a lot because yeah. it is so hard to remember <laughs> all of the topics we've covered, and it's also hard for me to remember sometimes if it's something that we actually talked about on the podcast or something or that like I just read, read about because yeah. I read so no. much stuff now. <laughs> well, we have a pretty good, if both of us think we talked about it, then it's probably something. Yeah, we talked about probably, yeah. probably. Cause then only one of us probably would remember it. Right? Right. <laughs> but yeah, so they're finally excavating it two years later. So well, in their defense, yeah. it took us two years to talk about them excavating it too. So that's true. That's true. My first story is space news. This is also from the BBC. Uh, Core of a gas planet seen for the first time. The the core of the planet? The core of like a gas giant. Wow. Um, So giant planets like Jupiter and Saturn have a solid planetary core beneath a thick envelope of hydrogen and helium gas. But no one has previously been able to see what these solid cores are like. And I always forget that that's actually a thing. It's like... I don't know. When I think of a gas giant, I'm like, oh, it's just a big ball of gas. But there's, yeah. there is a there's a surface. It's just generally very small and oh. very, very massive. I don't even – there we go. There we go. <laughs> Which massive. That, that word does come up multiple times in this article, and it's not, not we big. We haven't talked about the word massive in a while. 
massive when we're talking about space means has a lot of mass. Or even, I think, just generally about science, it's more like it has a large quantity of mass, not just that it's big. Right. Yes. So that'll be important in a few seconds. I did not (laughs) really ever think about that there is a surface on gas giant planets. Yeah. It just... Like, but Which like, why sense, wouldn't it be? Like, the, like, why would that gas be gathering why would it just if there be, wasn't? Something? Why would there just be a ball of gas? <laughs> right. Like, what is it? Yeah. That, no, I'm I mean, the same way. It's just like I just never really like you, you never about really it. think anyway. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> Let's talk about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, astronomers have found a previously unseen type of object circling a distant star. It could be the core of a gas giant like Jupiter, offering an unprecedented glimpse inside one of these giant planets. Their findings have been published in the journal Nature. So they found just like a core without the gas. Wait, and so we'll is that just it. a regular planet? <laughs> I know, that's exactly what I thought. Of it. <laughs> but no, there's a reason that they think this is what okay, it is. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, isn't that just like Mercury? <laughs> um, anyway, lead author David Armstrong from Warwick University and colleagues had been running a program to detect exposed planetary cores in data from the TESS Space Telescope. Uh, this was one of the, oh, this is him, I guess. This was one of the candidates we picked out as something to try to observe, he told BBC News. We followed it up with an instrument called the Hopps Spectroscope in Chile, which we used to measure the masses of these candidates. This one came out as being exceptionally massive. Much more than we expected, really. That's when we started to look into what could have caused that. Um, so that's David, that's that's, David that's such a good impression, and I thank you. That was perfect. I know you know him personally, so mm-hmm. yeah, high yep. praise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, when the researchers first looked at the object, they thought it might be a binary star, but they kept mm-hmm. taking data, and it turned out to still be a planet, just an exceptionally massive one for its size. And again, massive. Again, that, ma- that's lots why that of sentence mass. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Massive for, for its, its size. size. Yeah. Its radius is about three and a half times larger than Earth, so it's bigger than Earth, but the planet is around 39 times more massive than Earth. Whoa. So it's incredibly dense. <laughs> like It's like 39 planets all in the same space. Exactly. Whoa. Which is why they suspect it was a core, because that kind of thing would attract all this gas, and hmm. and like that's some something that massive even with that small of a radius, could still hold an atmosphere of that size. Wow. Um, The core orbits so close to its parent star that a year is a mere 18 hours. What? Yeah. Whoa. So it is just, it's It's right right there. there. It (laughs) It is is right right on on that star. Okay. Uh, And its surface temperature is around 1,500 degrees Celsius. (gasps) (laughs) Holy moly. Uh, Um, So researchers aren't sure whether the core never developed an atmosphere, was ripped apart from orbiting too close to its star, or even collided with another planet late in its formation, all of which could have resulted in it losing its atmosphere, apparently. Um, My suspicion is that it's from orbiting so close to that star. (laughs) Because you would think, if it's orbiting the star, presumably the star has more mass and like would be able to rip something apart, right? It wouldn't... Yeah, because it's so close that the largest object is not that anymore. It's the other thing. Right. And so the gas would all that's, leave and go yeah. So that's my there. my educated <laughs> guess as totally not an astronomer. Um, <laughs> it makes sense to me. Yeah. So further observations of this strange planet could help test ideas about how uh, giant gas planets evolve. Like, I imagine now they're going to probably want to look at things like the composition of it and 
Like, just yeah. how is it so dense? <laughs> That's it's, fascinating. Because yeah. it's so dense, they originally thought it was a star. Because stars are also quite massive. <laughs> Wait, they thought it was a star. Like, don't stars emit light, though? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is that required? I don't know. I don't know. Like maybe it's a dead star. Is that? Oh a thing? wait, yeah. What are those? I don't know. This questions. Okay, well, that's. In, I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's some way that like they can't like see it very clearly, but they yeah. have certain it, somehow know how massive it is, even though they can't see it, I have and they match no the star. Idea. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure there's I'm all kinds of cool calculations they can do based on yeah. like its position and like how it's affecting things nearby and right, like that right, kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, and they also didn't say like where in space it is, but anyway. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So. The Very core, interesting. The core of a gas giant. I learned a lot of stuff. I did too. <laughs> from that, yeah. yeah. Okay, my next story actually also is a space news. <laughs> and this is also from the BBC. The headline is, Mystery over Monster Star's Vanishing Act. Ooh. A mystery. <laughs> did they solve it? Oh, I guess don't spoil it for me. Okay. Um... <laughs> Astronomers have been baffled by the disappearance of a massive star. <laughs> Except, actually, I think in, in this that case, they, case, mean they big meant big. Also. They meant big. It's probably both. It's probably both. It's probably both. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is why the word has become so confused <laughs> in the English language. Um, the astronomers have been baffled. Baffled. <laughs> Baffled. Okay. Astronomers have been baffled by the disappearance of a massive star that they had been observing. They now wonder whether the distant object collapsed to form a black hole without exploding into a supernova. Because, you know, like stars normally just went. I guess, yeah. Like, you know, all other stars we've observed, I guess, apparently have all followed that pattern of becoming a supernova first and then they collapse on themselves and become Mm -hmm. a black hole. Or at least we have data to see that happen, because I think that that process takes so long that we probably haven't actually observed that happening. Actually, I'm not sure. I don't know. But anyway, that's what the process is supposed to be. Yes. But this star all of a sudden just disappeared, and they were like, did it just turn into a black hole without that other step? Um, if correct, it would be the first example of such a huge star coming to an end of its life in this manner, according to a recent study published by the Royal Astronomical Society. But there is an alternate possibility. According to the study, the object's brightness might have dipped because it is obscured by dust. And then they, like, went into more details of that scenario. So, (laughs) What dust is? (laughs) What is dust? Um, (laughs) uh, So this uh, giant star um, belongs to a type known as a luminous blue variable, which I guess is a type of star. Mysterious. Yeah, I know, right? Um, (laughs) It is 2.5 million times brighter than the sun. It's pretty bright. Yeah, it's very, very bright. Don't look at that. Um, st- <laughs> that may hurt your eyes. Um, <laughs> Might st- obliterate your eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> stars of this kind are unstable, showing occasional dramatic shifts in their spectra and brightness. And by spectra, they mean the amount of light emitted at different wavelengths. Mm. Um, so between 2001 and 2011, various teams of astronomers studied this massive star. Again, I think that means both, <laughs> big and massive, um, uh, concluding that it was in a late stage of evolution. And they um, observed that the star was experiencing giant eruptions, which were causing the star to lose mass and also lead to a dramatic peaks in brightness periodically. So this alternate theory is basically that those outbursts could have caused the star to transform into a less luminous star, which we simply can't see anymore because there's 
dust in the way, I guess. Uh-huh. So that could have also happened. All right. But we don't know because we can't see it anymore. <laughs> um, so just reiterating, if it's if it actually turned into a black hole without becoming a supernova, that would be very novel and the first time we've seen something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just noted that future studies are needed to actually confirm what happened. If it's obscured by dust, it would not be the first time we've ever had something get covered by dust. <laughs> yeah, apparently not. They didn't. They didn't mention if that was the first time, but uh, that's that probably happens often, yeah, um, even on Earth. And a <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. That those that dust coming over from the Sahara. Yeah. Oh yeah, we didn't even talk about that. No, we didn't even talk about that. Like, what is that? Um, separate news story. Um, so this is just an extra fun fact. This star is located 75 million light years away from us. Hmm. And it's in the constellation of Aquarius. Oh. Or in that area, I guess. <laughs> in the vicinity. In the, neighbor- in, in the, the same neighborhood. neighborhood as the Aquarius. Yeah. They're, they're neighbors. Right, so right. Hello, get the paper. Hey, that kind yeah, of thing. yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, Polite, exactly. but like not friendly. Right, right, yeah. My next story is science news. This is from... Fizz.org, P-H-Y-S. <laughs> I am starting to love Fizz.org just Fizz. because we've used it multiple times. Yeah. I don't know. I, they, they, see, they have a lot of interesting science-y stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, researchers building a harder diamond called a pentadiamond. What? How? You thought diamonds were hard. Yeah. Try pentadiamond. <laughs> yeah, that's their, that's their slogan. <laughs> from the makers you, of diamonds, from the- pentadiamonds. <laughs> The same uh, fake price. <laughs> Want to cut a diamond? What? <laughs> 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 All right, uh, please continue. It's my used car salesman voice. Um, <laughs> researchers at the University of Tsukuba used computer calculations to design a new carbon-based material even harder than diamond. This structure, dubbed pentadiamond by its creators, may be useful for replacing current synthetic diamonds in difficult cutting manufacturing tasks. So diamonds are used for, just, like, blades and yeah, I was, drills and that kind of thing all the I time. was thinking that, too. Like, mm. they just put it on the, the tips of, like, drills and what, what they use. Yeah, yeah. and this would yeah. be just an even stronger version of that. Nice. Uh, diamonds, which are made entirely of carbon atoms arranged in a dense lattice, are famous for their unmatched hardness among known materials. In conventional diamonds, each carbon atom forms a covalent bond with four neighbors. Chemists say carbon atoms like this have sp3 hybridization. This is just bringing back all kinds of memories of like chemistry classes where it's just yep. like it's sp3, it's one less than the actual number of bond. Like yes, <laughs> uh, in nanotubes and some other materials, each carbon forms three bonds called sp2 hybridization. Uh, now researchers have explored what would happen if carbon atoms were arranged in a more complex structure with a mixture of sp3 and sp sp2 hybridization. So basically, mixing them both together and trying to make something even stronger. Uh, to calculate, this is warning. This is going to go over everyone's head. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> to calculate the most stable atomic configuration as well as estimate its hardness, the team relied on a computational method called density functional theory, or DFT. Keeping track of the quantum states of all the electrons in a sample, and especially their interactions, is usually an intractable task. Instead, DFT uses an approximation that focuses on the final density of electrons in space orbiting the atoms. 
yeah, I don't I, I don't really What does intractable mean? Intractable means like so many there's so many possibilities that it's impossible essentially to do. Okay. Um I think it would be considered like sort of an unsolvable problem in that way. Like it's so many calculations that even like our modern like supercomputers you can't do like a su- like a super supercomputer would need to do it, but it's so complicated. It's Even a so, supercomputer yeah. can't. Well, and like quantum physics is already complicated enough because you have like the whole like you don't know what state something is in unless it's yeah. observed, and like right. how do you account for that in like trillions or more electro? I don't even know what yeah. quadrillions, oh, oh, however oh. many electrons so are involved. In something if like I had this. to summarize what you just said in a nutshell, mm-hmm. which is maybe completely wrong, but maybe it's right. <laughs> they 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 decided to make some assumption that would let them get to an answer. Yeah, that so basically it's enough. an approximation based on the final state. Like, So they take out the quantum part of it, and it's like the electrons are in this state. How can we arrange these carbon yeah, atoms? Like based on that assumption. Based on that assumption. And that allows for them to actually calculate something. Okay. Um, I, I think I get that. Yeah, I hope that's a reasonable explanation. Uh <laughs> So this simplifies the calculation to make it suitable for com- computers while still providing very precise results. So apparently this okay. theory has already been pretty well developed. Uh, the, the scientists found that the Young's modulus, which is a measure of hardness. Oh, I learned about that in engineering I know, it's school. like, all this is just like coming back to me. <laughs> um, a measure of hardness of pentadiamond was predicted to be almost 1700 GPA. It's capital G, capital P-A. I don't actually know what that stands for. I, I kind of wish I looked it up. Yeah. Um, Compared with about 1,200 for a conventional diamond. So 500 more, whatever that means. I just looked up GPA for diamonds, and it and Google is telling me that it is, I think it's gigapascals, except instead of pressure, it stands for the bulk modulus property of the material, and I don't know what that is. Okay, I was about, that was going to be my follow-up question, is what does that mean? Don't know what that is. Anyway, it's a lot more, is what they were saying <laughs> yeah also the density of it is much lower uh comparable to something like graphite so it's like way stronger but also less interesting dense, which is kind of cool that is very cool um but yeah like they said like we said at the beginning this has a lot of potential uh industrial applications if they could actually figure out how to synthesize it um, mm-hmm. but knowing that the structure is possible is the first step to that so yeah Pentadiamonds. So, I gotta ask, how would they cut the penta penta? Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. How would they cut the pentadiamonds then? Who cuts the pentadiamonds? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I yeah, I have no idea. Um, that's a really good question. But Presumably, then, we cut diamonds somehow already, with right? Diamond? Yeah, we do. With, with, other ha- with other diamonds? Is that? I don't know. I don't know either. Someone tell us. Someone send yeah. us a message on Facebook. Yeah, or tell us. Because <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know these, these you hard make, questions. You have to make a slightly harder pentadiamond. <laughs> Where does it end? <laughs> My next story is health news. I found this after specifically searching for more airplane technology because I wanted to. And I found aviationpros.com. Um, the headline is about a new coating material that this company made that you can spray on surfaces and it's supposed to, it's going to be used in like transportation places. Okay. And actually like I found this and then I, when I read it in more, I realized it was like basically just like a press release from the company. So I'm just going to report on it. Like I'm actually reporting on it because oh. it's a press release from this okay. company. 
but I, just, I just use like their a, wordings, but I'm reversing. We're just like a real news source. I know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to be like a real reporter, guys. Um, so um, so um, this was a press release from BioX Pro, which is a subsidiary of BioX Group, which is a company that makes chemicals. All right. And they've developed this new protective coating that can be used. Well, they're marketing it as to be used in the transportation industry. Um, it's a, a highly engineered coating that incorporates an antiviral, antimicrobial, and antifungal additive element, mm-hmm. um, which they did not specify in this what that actually was. But supposedly, <laughs> okay. according to them, it's registered with the EPA and it's already used worldwide in the healthcare, food, and textile industries oh. already. I wonder why they didn't say it then. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't my know, first but. assumption was, was was that it was proprietary, but it's apparently not. So yeah, I, uh, um, I bet we could find out if I actually dug into this, but I did not do that. Um, so basically, they blended whatever that additive is with some like a polymer substance mm-hmm. um, that will bond to like many types of surfaces, um, and then once it dries, it becomes a non toxic non-staining thin film that will remain on the surface of the items where it was sprayed. So, and according to the company, this the protective qualities of the film stay active for 90 days after it's been applied. Wow. Um, and, you know, they're, according to them, other kind of similar products only last a few days. So this one would last a long time, mm-hmm. comparatively. And they've done all this testing to, to show that it's effective against, um, like, not letting viruses, bacteria, et cetera, like, live on those surfaces where it is. And they also said that one gallon of this stuff can be used to cover up to 4,000 square feet of surfaces. So it's like you only need a really thin layer of it. And you only need that every three months. Every Yeah, three months. Um, and then they, they've tested it, like, not even just on hard surfaces, but also on, like, upholstery and, and like, materials like that as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, so now they, they want to market this as, like, a safety thing that, like, airports, train stations, any, like, transportation kind of places can use, and as well as inside of airplanes themselves. Like, yeah. they, it, they've no, designed it that it can be sprayed. Yeah, like, it could, they could spray it, like, on the seats, I think, even, and, like, on the, like, tray tables and all different places like that. And it's, like, a, like you know, like a preventative coating, yeah. basically. And that's good even outside of, a you know, global pandemic. Oh, Just yeah. Many, oh, yeah. How many times have you flown and gotten sick? Yeah, I mean, that that's constantly a problem right. on planes <laughs> because, yeah, because you're just, like, in this enclosed space and you're touching all these things that, like, a million other people have touched, you know. so that, It's that, gross, frankly. I, I think, yeah, <laughs> it's just, it, but yes, even outside of the pandemic, I think this type of product is very interesting because it could be very beneficial in the, all these high-traffic areas, yeah. you know. I'm going to spread all over me. <laughs> I'll never get sick again. They, they didn't say if it could be used as a bodysuit, but mm. we should look into that. What if that, I spray maybe? it directly into my mouth? I would not advise that. Mm. <laughs> you sure? Well, you know, oh, I'm against so. ingesting chemicals for the treatment of of uh, <laughs> things in your body. So All right, I think we yourself. should stay away from spraying chemicals and ingesting chemicals <laughs> and instead spray it on surfaces. But yeah, I'd like I, to I mean, come down mar- firmly on the side of not spraying this <laughs> in here. <laughs> well, so yeah. This is, I guess, available now. And they, I actually also found they put this, this company put this, their same press release on paintsandcoatings.com. All right. Also. So they're like, hey, we they're have really this. really getting the word out there. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. That's kind of a cool thing even for, I know it's like, I'm thinking like all these big centers could do something like that, but even just like smaller places too, like a grocery store. I don't know. Yeah. Like spray anywhere on, like, with a lot of high touch surfaces. Flo- yeah. Like spray it on like carts. Yeah. Like exactly. Yeah. The, car, the cart handles. Yeah. 
that kind of thing. Trolley, if you're a, one of our if listeners yeah, from the UK. Yeah, yes, the trolley. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's, there's all sorts of applications for this. I thought that was pretty, pretty cool and something that yeah. is definitely needed in the short term for and sure. long term. Yeah. <laughs> so, Forever. Yeah. My next story is Animal News. <laughs> this is from Newsweek. World's biggest shark has teeth on its eyeballs, scientists discover. Oh, my God. That's right. What? That's right. Eye teeth. And that is so disturbing. <laughs> the, the second best part about this article is it brings back one of our favorite words. And you'll see. Oh. Very soon. Okay. I'm excited. In analyzing the eyes of whale sharks, which can reach up to 60 feet in length, the shark, not the not eye. the eyes. <laughs> researchers found them, the eyes, not the shark, to be covered in dermal denticles. <gasps> denticles! <laughs> denticles! I, I forgot about that word. The word oh. denticles. Yeah. The word that everyone heard for the first time on our podcast and is now hearing for the second time in their lives. So you're welcome. Denticles make a comeback. Uh, And these help protect their eyes from damage. Uh, Dermal denticles are known to, it's it's going to be coming up a lot, so prepare yourself, uh, to cover shark skin. They are tiny V-shaped scales that are structurally uh, minute teeth. So they're basically like, I didn't realize, like I knew sharks had like rough skin. I didn't know it was technically a bunch of little teeth. But now I do, I guess. Oh, um, well, what makes it technically teeth? Because it's like what's material in it. Yeah. Like, is there like enamel? Whatever is in enamel. The structure of it is just the same as a tooth, I guess. Like, yeah, so there's weird. like layers, like a tooth. I don't know. Huh? Um, okay. Interesting. I'm just going off the science here. Yeah, yeah. According to the Smithsonian Institute Institution's Ocean Portal, shark skin is covered in dermal denticles to decrease turbulence and drag, helping them to swim quieter and faster. Which, like, doesn't... I don't really understand hydrodynamics. I don't understand why having rougher skin would make that the case. But who am I to shark? Okay, maybe it's something like when (laughs) you're swimming, it, like, breaks up the water somehow in a way that lets you go forward faster. Maybe. But you would think that having smooth skin... Would let, would let it slide over your body yeah. faster, and that would go know. faster. Or maybe there's somehow, like, the resistance causes, like, you're pushing off the water in some maybe. weird science-y way. Fish are totally Friends. different from land oh, yeah. and animals. Yeah. <laughs> fish are I have no idea how they work. Yeah. How does a fish work? <laughs> we just don't know. Um, in a study published in the journal, PLOS One, which yes. I know has come up before, PLOS, <laughs> um... Researchers led by Takateru Tamita from the Okinawa Churashima Research Center in Japan found dermal denticles on the eyes of whale sharks, which I think I've said like six times now. Um, (laughs) Whale sharks have eyes that project out of their orbit, a feature that could result in an increased risk of injury normally. They do not have eyelids, and the only known protection mechanism is that the species can rotate the entire eyeball back into the eye socket. That's so weird. Yeah, that's the correct response to that. That's just the visual of that. Just <laughs> gross. Um, the identical. <laughs> that word is just so beautiful. The identical differs in morphology from that of the dermal denticles distributed over the rest of the body. They are for abrasion resistance rather than speed and noise reduction, which I 
don't think their concern was that their eyes were too loud, but um, yeah, apparently it helps like protect them from like rough surfaces. Like if they happen to run into something, I guess. Mm. Like scales would, but they're not scales. They're teeth. I'm so confused. That's they're considered what it sounds dentacles. Like to me. Wow, yeah. that's so. Yep. I've never heard any of this. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, uh, they wrote as in their research. As far as we know, eye tentacles have not been found in other elasma branches, which is apparently the I don't know if it's a family or a genus, but it's <laughs> sharks, rays, and skates like that. Okay. Group of of uh, sea creatures, uh, including species closely related to the whale shark. So even. Close relatives don't have this. It seems likely, therefore, that identicals are a characteristic unique to the whale shark. Hmm. Which, um, yeah, if you aren't if you weren't already a fan of the whale shark, which you absolutely should be because it's a really cool creature. Uh, now, now you have another reason, maybe. <laughs> they are cool, aren't they? Like, actually, not. Wait. <laughs> I remember hearing at some point that like whale sharks should either be considered whales or sharks. They're like, well, they are fish, so they're definitely not whales. But don't they eat plankton? Yeah, they feed a lot like whales, which is why they're. Is that why they're called, called that? that? I thought they were called that just because they were like bit really big, like a whale. Maybe that is why. Maybe and they feed like whales. So. It's so, they but they're like, shark. They but they feed like whales, shark. and they're as large as whales. But they're technically a shark because they're they're a fish, not a mammal. They're, it's like it's funny when there's certain animals that don't fit what we decided were like the right, categories like, of animals. Uh, uh, it's it's a like shark. Yeah. It's like well, it's a whale shark. Uh, yeah. and scientist it's runs like, out of the room. Whale shark is one of those. The other one is the platypus. <laughs> <laughs> platypus just doesn't. No fit one. Into it anything. doesn't fit into anything. It just doesn't. It's like it lays eggs, but it has a duck bill. But, but it, it looks also like has a, a venomous spine. Yeah. On like its fin. what like, is this animal? Yeah. It, it's so funny to me. It's like. Certain animals, they just don't fit into the neat categories that we've mm-hmm. decided are the categories. Yeah. It's like, who decided those are the categories, you know? Yeah. Humans oh, did. But I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And when you think about it, like, it makes sense that something that's also, that's, even though it's a fish, would evolve to have the same properties as a whale. Yeah. Because it's clearly a way to, well, they're all endangered, but it's clearly a way <laughs> to survive. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. even though they are more closely related to other sharks. It's just interesting. Yeah. Animals, man. Look at them. <laughs> look at them. Just looking at you, animals. All right, it's time for breaking news. The part of the show where Anthony and I look for stories that just happened today or were just posted today, and we read them to you on the fly. Tentacles again. <laughs> Ready, set, go! go! Okay, I found this on UPI. The headline is, researchers develop glove to translate American sign language. This that is so is cool. so cool. It's like a haptic glove. So and it you detects can, the gestures. Yeah. And does and it, it, like, speak them out loud then? Uh, I think it does, actually. Let me, let me look at this again. It translates it to speech in real time, like through an app or something. That is Isn't that amazing? so cool. And it makes so much sense. Yeah, it does make so much sense. It's like, like we have the technology to do this. Yeah, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, so they, they, you put on these these gloves or it's a single glove, I guess. Um, and they, yeah. And you just move it around and then it detects it and tries to translate it, you know, yeah, in real time. And they said at the end that they're also working on, um, incorporating facial sensors into it somehow too. Um, but I'm not sure if that's actually working that part yet, but hmm. they have the glove. 
with the, does the yeah. facial is that because like some of the gestures rely on like positioning of the hand like close to the face and that kind of stuff or is it more like their emotion that they're expressing or oh wait no it actually is incorporated already yeah and oh, okay. to answer your question it says to register facial expressions used in American Sign Language so I guess there are certain expressions oh, yeah, I guess that there are, part are. Yeah. Of, I actually didn't realize that yeah. I feel like I've seen like where like there's like an O shape to the mouth or something or oh okay um yeah hmm. yeah the app translates the words at a rate of one word per second it's that's the good. speed of it yeah yeah it's not bad I mean it's <laughs> certainly better than nothing yeah so this whole thing is just like yeah okay if some somebody doesn't need a translator with them then if they want something so to... now what we need is a glove that takes over your motion. <laughs> <laughs> So you speak, and then it signs for you. That would be so <laughs> terrifying. I mean, if there's technology a actually, there there's a, <laughs> you speak into it, and it just moves your like hand around, and like it moves your face a certain way, and it just yeah. goes for it. So you need a way to trans- translate it back, right? Though I yeah. guess that's what we have like written language for. So that's also true. Also, you could just have an app that just has a like a fake person doing an animated yeah. person doing it instead yeah or you, you could just too. have an app that displays written oh yeah but then if, you have, if you're showing I'm them an app, as as i if you're showing them an app you probably could just write something like down. hey here's something you can also read yeah <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah oh well we solved that problem too yeah. so good job us yeah super cool love technology like this this is like biomedical engineering which is my career and education. Yeah, I was going to say, so this is, I love which it. is like what you went to college for. So. <laughs> yep. All right, I found this on Ars Technica. Spotify Duo for couples is cheaper than the standard family plan. So apparently Spotify, what? like, you know, there's Spotify Premium, which is a single user mm-hmm. account. Spotify Family is apparently for up to six people. And now okay. they're introducing Spotify Duo for two people okay. in the household. Um which I get what you're thinking. This sounds pretty stupid, but <laughs> besides the fact that it's it's only two it's two dollars cheaper than the family plan, so not a huge amount of savings there. Um, essentially, all it is is the, is the family plan with fewer total accounts and no parental controls. But and I okay. think this is kind of cool. The new Duo plan also comes with a feature called Duo Mix. Intended to provide mutually enjoyable playlists based on the preferences of both partners on a duo plan. Oh, that's, that's kind of cool, right? Yeah. So the, the mix is automatically generated and its overall tempo can be changed by tapping chill or upbeat icons on a mobile device. <laughs> um, and also, it includes the profile picture of the partner whose taste it was like each song was chosen from, essentially. Okay, that's awesome. So you can like see if like something stupid comes up, like. Okay, that was you. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. So the just if it was just a plan for two people, that'd be pretty dumb. But the the mix thing actually sounds kind of cool because I that can imagine such cool. situations where there's like a couple who wants to listen to like music and can't decide on something, so just throw on this mix and yeah, and it'll like a, play some, some things stuff for that you person. like, some things that they like. Yeah, um, I kind of like that. Right, and apparently. Uh, Two-person households were the, the largest single group in the United States in 2019. So even from really? like a marketing <laughs> standpoint, it kind of just makes sense there. But yeah, I thought the mix especially was a very cool. Yeah, that feature. is cool. 
you know, in the future, they should make it that you can like switch between who you want to like mix with, because then you can be like, oh, yeah. I want to, mi- I want to mix with my friend, you right? Know? So that you I and I could make a good, mix. <laughs> who has good taste in this, or yeah, it's going to end up being all show tunes, or because <laughs> <laughs> um, that'd be super fun to be like, oh, make a mix for like me and this person, yeah, like, right? Yeah, maybe this is just how they're going to like pilot it or something. I don't know. Yeah, if they, um, they probably already had that idea because I don't think I'm a marketing genius, but. <laughs> I think it's a really good idea. So, well, Alex, I think you're a marketing genius. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I kind of do. I just want to. I, I kind of want to try it, but I don't have anyone to try it with. So I'm just. Yeah. Hey. Well, I'm like, okay, yes, I could. I could upgrade to that for my husband, except he doesn't really use. I don't think he would really use Spotify that much. Yeah. Um, so it'd just be mostly music from you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know if it's worth it with the price difference or whatever. Right. Do they do they give you Hulu Premium if you update <laughs> if you upgrade to the partners <laughs> whatever? I have, I have no idea. Partners plan, duo couples plan. Something they should consider though. Yeah, because I would maybe consider upgrading if that was part of the package too. I'd be like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We post episodes every Friday. And as always, the links to this week's stories will be in the episode description. You can subscribe to Knickknack News on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get podcasts from. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash News and on Twitter at, at News. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. And um, this is about a new material. <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> It's about pentadiamonds. It it's about pentadiamonds. <laughs> We're going to make planes out of pentadiamonds. Um, They'll slice right through mountains. <laughs> no worrying about crashing anymore. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, but no.